Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate, relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. What does health and wellness look like if you're trying to just get your body moving again after a long period of being sedentary? Many of us post-COVID-19 vaccination are grappling with the cost of life-saving inactivity. Well, we're fortunate to have Lisa Tamati back, our Maori ultra-marathoner extraordinaire. You don't have to run the equivalent of the circumference of the earth more than once through over 140 ultra-marathons like she has to understand that human fight between wanting to give up and refusing, practicing a small victory in resilience. Today, Lisa discusses protecting your mindset while recounting a mountain pass marathon that awed me. If you haven't checked out her book Relentless yet, you can pick it up on our website at lisatamati.com. That's L-I-S-A-T-A-M-A-T-I.com. And she also has a great podcast out, Pushing the Limits, where you can listen to experts discuss tips and strategies from elite performers straight to you. Remember to resource yourself for this conversation. Pandemics, depression, and sedentary lifestyles are all intermingled for a lot of us right now. It may seem insurmountable to start back into caring for your body, but I promise you it's very possible. Little victories, friends. I feel like a long time ago, Lisa made the world decide to either get on board with her vision of herself or to get out of her way. But, you know, that kind of victory of mindset doesn't happen overnight. And I just wanted to encourage you to frame it more as... I can get my 5,000 steps today. If Lisa can make it through that mountain pass, I can get my 5,000 steps today, even if it feels impossible. But no matter how you use the content, I'm proud of the session today and am happy to present Lisa Tamati here on Intimate Interactions. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Lisa Tamati, the ultramarathoner who has done more than 140 ultramarathons and now retired, has written the book Relentless, all about coaching her mom and helping her mom come back to health from the precipice of death in a very serious aneurysm. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for having me again, Victor. It's super good to be here. Lovely much. Absolutely. I have, I have a great time. I've been having a great time in our conversation. So I would love to do an episode today talking a little bit about COVID recovery and not so much recovery from the disease, but rather recovery from this period in time and and a lot of folks have been you know locking down it's interrupted their exercise habits it's you know wreaked havoc on their nutrition a lot of people have experienced depression and anxiety and Mm. now we're sort of coming into the space i think um it in you know sort of later in 2021 where folks are starting to say okay i need to take control again i need to start looking at my nutrition i need to start you know, going for walks even, or, you know, small amounts of exercise, get your body moving, just, just bringing your body slowly back to a place of health and wellness and being centered. And I'm super interested to hear, um, what someone who has so much experience with resilience has to say about that, about how to coach one's mindset. 
Yeah, this is a, such an important topic for right now. And I do a lot of, you know, um, corporate speaking, motivational speaking, and, that, and that's the number one topic that's being requested at the moment mm-hmm. is stress management mm-hmm. and resilience and how to cope in this very uncertain day and age in which we're all, the whole entire world are finding ourselves in. And as I sit here in New Zealand, we're in lock, you know, lockdown level four, at the moment so you know um dealing with it ourselves at the moment on a business level the chaos that that causes and the you know the uncertainty and the fears as well as the physical you know not being able to get out and do what you want to do um Mm -hmm. so i think it's really going back to some really basic health principles that i'd love to talk about and, and share about because i think you know when when times get complicated and things is coming back to simple and what what can i take control of so when um when you know the world's in chaos and we've got all this these negative headlines and the news i think one of the most important things that we can do is try to protect our psyche so that we of course we have to keep up with the news to the point of of knowing what's going on in our environment but not to the point i've seen a lot of people um become obsessed with the statistics the, the the latest headlines the constant staying up with the negative news and you know the news cycle is made to make us panic mm-hmm. it is made for it to keep our attention so you have to sort of understand that they are always going to couch the wording and the it's going to be you know COVID is surging around the world and it's killing thousands of people you know and it's always going to be and it, you know there's there is it's scary it's it's mm-hmm. negative mm-hmm. but there is always this underlying we have to panic everybody because that's what the news does like that's their job is to get eyes on their content and the way to do that is to bring all the negative things to light mm-hmm. um, and so counteracting that with some positive news of what amazing things people are doing around the world in the state of COVID and how it's going to advance some of our you know technology and 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 medical and you know there's there's a lot of positive stories that never see the light of day because of the 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 need for this negative news cycle to be keeping feeding negativity all the time so i think yes keep up with the big the big things that you have to keep up with Mm -hmm. but not with going into that obsessive every five minutes checking you know what what's the latest disaster is one thing so in other words protecting your mindset so if i take this back just briefly to a Mm -hmm. an ultra marathon i did a race in the himalayas at one point it was a 222k race over the two highest mountain mountain passes motorable mountain passes in the world and it was at extreme altitude and i'd had a terrible build-up i'd had a hypoxic brain concussion i'd ripped the ligaments off my ankle wow and we i finally got to go over to this race and i was not in a best physical shape and i had anemia and i was at altitude so you know like there was a lot going wrong in this preparation and when we got over there we had a group of doctors come over from the states who were studying us because humans hadn't really done this where they'd gone from 3600 meters to 58 to 36 to 58 again mm-hmm. roughly and this uh, in this very short time period while running 220 k's it was um <laughs> yeah. it was only the second time they'd held this race in the first year two people had ended up in hospital and one had actually finished the race so it was all very new dangerous you know um and we were being told every day about you know how to recognize the signs of things like cerebral edema and pulmonary edema they were taking our bloods and seeing if our uh our red blood cells were increasing to make us adapt to altitude and mine weren't um you know all this negativity in other words Mm -hmm. and so i got to a point where i'm like 
Am I going to pull out because I've had this dreadful build up and I'm terrified now, or am I going to carry on? And if I'm going to carry on, then I need to protect myself from all the negativity because I don't. So I got to the point where I thought I am going to do it because I'm, I've, I've traveled all the way to India. I had my whole team. I had a mm-hmm. film crew. I had sponsors. I'd spent a year and a half training. I'm not going to not try. Right. Right. And so if I'm going to do it, then I have to go all in and I have to protect my psyche from the negativity that's surrounding me. So, so what I did is I said to my crew, I want you to protect me from the doctors, keep me away from them as much as you possibly can, keep me away from the race directors, from the Indian military who were trying to stop the race, keep mm-hmm. me away from the other runners, and tell me how amazing we are and what a great team we are and tell me, you know, every time I start to freak out, mm-hmm. I want you to talk me off the ledge, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's what my team did for the last two days before the race started. They just fed me positivity, positivity, positivity. And it really had a massive effect on my psyche and my ability to cope with the terror that was, you know, inside me. Mm-hmm. And I remember like waking up on the morning of the actual race and, you know, you open your eyes at 4 a.m. in the morning and you just realize, oh, my God, it's that day when you have to face this 222K race in the Himalayas and you have no idea what's ahead of you and you're just terrified. But when I, when I got up and I put my, my running gear on and I put my start number on, when I put my start number on for me, that's like my ritual. That's like my, I'm putting on my armor. Mm-hmm. I'm becoming something that I'm not. It's almost like putting on a mask. I'm, I'm becoming wonder woman or I'm becoming Superman, you know, whatever the your superhero is Sure, um, sure. in my mind, you know, like it's, you know, physically you're not, but you, you, in your mind, you're, t- you're telling yourself this yes. and you're creating then in your mind, in your body, a release of testosterone, which makes you feel more courageous and more bold and more strong because we're just the effects of our neurotransmitters. So if you learn to manipulate your neurotransmitters a little bit mm-hmm. by doing things like power posing mm-hmm. and telling mm-hmm. yourself that you're amazing, you actually affect your physiology mm-hmm. and you actually change the chemistry in your body. And that makes you feel stronger and able to cope able to cope and so for me it was just about getting me to the start line so i didn't turn around and run the other way you know <laughs> like get away <laughs> and actually turned up and did the event um and and so we did this and it was the most biggest battle you know like i i had a, a huge battle during this race so I, I managed to get up the pass the first pass fine um but, you know, we were at extreme altitude. So up at the top of this altitude, we had about 30% of that oxygen that we have down here at, at sea level. And I'm an asthmatic. So I was in dire straits trying to get enough oxygen into my little lungs. And I didn't have enough blood supply because I was anemic and so not enough red blood cells and not enough oxygen anyway. And so I was down to a walk on the tops of these passes. And even running down, I had asthma attacks. And, you know, it was just a, one hell of a battle. I managed to get through the first pass. And then for the next 24 hours, we're sort of going through this valley at 3,600 and I was sort of coping okay. And then we came in the next day into the second valley that would be leading up to this next pass. Mm-hmm. And in this valley, it was like massive heat. So we're talking 40 degrees heat Jeez. and down the bottom. So we had extremes of temperatures up on the mountains. It was, you know, zero to minus degrees and down in the valleys, it was extremely hot. And so I passed out with heat stroke at one point. My crew had to cool me down, get me back on the road. So I've had asthma attacks. I've had heat stroke. And now I'm facing down the second pass. And if you can imagine, I've been out there now for 35-something hours, and I'm going up this pass very, very slowly. So I'm no longer running. I'm only walking. I can hardly walk at a normal speed. Mm-hmm. 
And as you get higher and higher, you're running out of oxygen and your body has already been to extreme altitude within the last day. And it's not happy to be going there again. <laughs> yeah. And you, you've also been nonstop moving since, you know, 6am the day before. And now we're, so you're extremely exhausted. So you haven't, you haven't, you know, been able to rest more than half an hour when I passed out for the heat stroke. And that was it. Um, Jeez. You know, so you, now you're heading up this pass. You've got 35 kilometers. You're going uphill. You're going higher and higher and higher. And it's getting colder and colder as the day wears on. And in your mind, you've just got this massive battle going on between like, you know, half of you is just going, you're never going to get up there. You're never going to make it. Why don't you just quit now? And why mm-hmm. don't you stop? And you've got this other part going, you've been through so much, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep doing it, you know, you're going to go keep keep going. So, um, and you're just trying for dear life to hang on and my crew are doing everything possible to keep me going. And amazing guys. And then we'd have like convoys of army trucks come through that are spitting out diesel, like unfiltered diesel into this very thin environment mm-hmm. of beer. Mm-hmm. And that causes, you know, me to have another asthma attack. And, sure. I, you know, at one point I just can't breathe at all. And they have a massive, like, asthma and then panic attack and mm. just really lose my shit, basically. And then it got, gets to the point where I'm back out on the road and my, my crew were just doing everything to keep me going. I'm now walking really slowly, less than 3Ks an hour. I'm going, like, 100 metres and then I'm having to sit down and catch my breath and then another 100 metres and sit down again. And it gets to the point where I'm, like, calculating how far is it to the top of this pass. And I'm, I'm calculating away and I'm thinking, it's only it's only 2Ks. I can hold on. I can hold on for 2Ks. And then I say to my guys, like, can you go over and work it out on the maps? You know, how far is it? And one of my guys, Josh, comes back and he says, we've done the calculations, Lisa. It's six kilometers to the top. And I just broke (laughs) at that point because I was like, six Ks is another two hours of this not being able to breathe and just torture that I was going through and the hypothermia. And I had, you know, I hadn't slept in two days. I was, you know, deep, deep, deep trouble. And it's 10 10 p.m. at night. And I was just, I just sat down in the snowstorm because it was now a snowstorm as well to boot. And I just bawled my eyes out and said, that's it. I can't do it anymore. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, my guys. I'm just so sorry. I, I can't carry on. My crew comes around and they cuddle around me and there's wonderful friends. And so, you know, that they are, they are like, you know, we're so proud of you and you're amazing and you've done everything you can and we've seen what you've been through and you're just amazing and that's all, it's okay. And they gave me permission to fail. And then there was one guy in my crew, his name was Chris, and he was a journalist there was embedded in my crew from the geographic magazine and he comes over and he sits in front of me and he's not smiling and he's not patting me on the back right. and he grabs me by the shoulders and he goes, no effing way, no way are you going to fail now? Get your ass off the ground and take another step. And I'm going to stay out here with you every single step. And you are not going to fail now, not after what you've been through, not after the 18 months of training, not after what we've been through. We've been in that damn car for 45 hours. <laughs> Get up. <laughs> and, and he guilted me and he made me feel like, oh my, you know, like he put it all in perspective and he helped me over that hump and he literally dragged me off the ground and pushed me forward and he stayed out there with me and one of the other guys did too and these guys which was a huge sacrifice stayed with me and walked and talked me up to the top of this pass and basically helped me overcome that massive hump right got me up to the top of this pass and I had 33 kilometers to go but I knew that I was going to get there because it was downhill so to cut a very long story short I got there in 53 hours and five minutes 
Wow. And I was the, the second woman to ever do it. And it was just an incredible experience of, you know, it was not one I want to repeat, to be honest. It was brutal. I had a lot of issues, health issues afterwards. But and I was beaten by a 55-year-old grandmother from England who also had asthma. <laughs> Right, right, and she beat the two guys as well. Like, so, so women are really good at this this ultra distance running. And age is no barrier, and your sex is no barrier, and your ethnicity and your body shape and your abilities aren't really barriers when you really, really want something and when you want to overcome and you want to achieve. Um, so, I've gone completely off track from what we were talking about, but um, it's it's all about protecting your mind and having a team of people around you to look after you and you know and you look after them too and you you can overcome and you can achieve incredible things so we we finished that 222k race and um if anyone is interested they can reach out to me because i've got all the documentaries of all these stories that i've shared um so i can show you that i'm not not lying actually (laughs) we believe (laughs) you lisa we believe you (laughs) but um but coming back to the health side of the equation so now i'm very big on health prevention and taking ownership of your health and not outsourcing it to any one person nobody can look after your health like you can and you may think i'm not a medical practitioner i'm not a you know i'm not i'm not trained in this yes but you know your body very well and you can go and do the research in your particular area of need and when you understand some basics about human biology, which I think we should be all taught in school, mm-hmm. you know, things like like for ladies, their menstrual cycle, how does it work? We weren't taught anything like that. Like, why not? Yeah. You know, or, or, or our sleep and our circadian rhythms and how, how sleep influences our health. Like, that's a massive one. Mm-hmm. So if as a coach, the first thing that I try to optimize is someone's hormones and secondly, their sleep. Those are the two biggest leverage points I have as a coach. Mm -hmm. as a health optimization coach not nutrition and exercise which are very important as well Mm -hmm. but if i don't get your hormones in the right state and if i don't get uh your sleep in in an optimal state then you know you can eat right and exercise right but you're not going to get the results from that hard work Mm -hmm. so it's understanding where the leverage points are and so if we go you know the hormones is a a deeper topic because that's you know um I work with people, you know, with different hormonal issues and do DNA testing and help people, you know, like women going through menopause or dealing with endometriosis Mm -hmm. or, you know, PCOS, all of these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And, And for men as well. Um, but, but also just, but without going into the depths of hormonal science, like hormones really affect your, um, your ability to function normally you know everything from your 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 sexual reproductive health right through to things like your thyroid and your gut health are all affected Um, your ability to to train your energy levels are all affected so when you have um you know a deficiency in in different hormones or you're you're not you've got too many of the wrong ones or they're going down the wrong inflammatory pathways all of these things can be influenced by what we can you know lifestyle interventions and sometimes hormones being brought into the mix or supplements being brought into the mix Mm -hmm. and good nutrition but when you understand all of that then you can optimize it and if i can just go into circadian rhythms like Mm -hmm. um understanding that like the the human body and mind need sleep that is just we have these different phases of sleep i've done quite a few episodes with experts on this on my podcast pushing your limits um 
we have our different phases of sleep, but if we just think about two of them, the, the REM sleep and the, and the slow wave sleep or the delta wave sleep. Your delta wave sleep is when you have these big, slow oscillations in your in the brain waves. And this is our deep sleep when we're doing things like releasing growth hormone mm. and doing our physical repair. So it's mainly about our physical repair. And that happens mostly in the earlier part of the night. This is why getting to sleep earlier uh, before midnight brings you more than the sleep that you have after midnight. I mean, not that that's unimportant, but if you can get to bed before midnight and actually get some good quality, deep, slow wave sleep is more likely to happen in that first part of the night. And that's why that's really important for physical recovery. In the early morning hours, there's a more of an emphasis. It's not solely, but there's more of an emphasis on the REM sleep. Now, REM sleep is rapid eye movement sleep, mm-hmm. and this is when you're doing your dreaming, and this is when the, the brain waves are a, a lot faster, and this is when you're doing your memory consolidation, and it's helping you cope with your emotional stuff that you've been through in the day and it's putting things into the right place in your brain Mm -hmm. okay and then you've also got your glymphatic system so where you are actually um we have a lymph system and then we have a glymph system so Mm -hmm. this is like uh the sewage system if you like for the body how we get rid of the crap that's built up over the day the tau proteins you would have heard of you know with people with alzheimer's um having too much uh these uh, misfolded proteins and tau proteins in their brain. So this is where sleep becomes absolutely crucial to avoid those types of things in order to, for our brain actually shrinks at night to a certain degree and it washes itself. It sends this glymphatic fluid down and um, without, you know, butchering the science too much, <laughs> it cleans the, the brain basically. So this is why sleep is your biggest leverage point and what I think for most people have difficulties, you know, a lot of us have difficulties with sleep. Then there's also a genetic component. Like I have some very poor genes when it comes to my sleep genes, my clock gene and a few of the other ones aren't optimal. So I need to be very sort of strict with my routine. I need to go to bed at the same time every night and wake up pretty much at the same Mm -hmm. time. I need to get early morning sunlight on the retinas of my eyes. Now, what does that do? It suppresses melatonin production Mm -hmm. and it tells the body to release its cortisol. So you get the cortisol rise when you want it, which is in the morning when the sun comes up. Mm-hmm. If you think that we're, we're circadian beings, right? We, we've come from caveman days in our ancient DNA where we just followed the cycle of the sun. Sure. Now we have artificial lights that's disrupted our whole circadian rhythm. So mm-hmm. one thing I like to do at nighttime is to avoid blue lights, so screens, TVs. And if I am watching the television or doing some work on the computer, then I have my blue light blocking glasses mm-hmm. on, which actually just blocks that spectrum of the light. Um, and it's not a you know a complete fix, but it is um, certainly helpful. Mm-hmm. And then dimming the lights at night. But getting that early morning blue light, you want the blue light in the early morning. Mm-hmm. When you get that, it resets the suprachiasmatic nucleus in your brain, which is the master clock in your brain that tells every cell in your body what time of the day it is. And from that point on, your body goes right from now it's between 14 and 16 hours we're going to be awake from now so if you get that early morning sunshine it sort of resets the clock so it's a very important thing to go outside and try to get a couple of minutes depending on how bright it is two to ten minutes 
of natural sunshine on your eyes. Don't look at the sun because you don't want to burn your eyes, obviously, <laughs> but you want that early. There's a, there's a special quality of light in the early morning that only happens at that time of the day that tells the brain to, to suppress the melatonin production and increase your cortisol. And when you do that in the early morning, it can be really beneficial. And then at nighttime on the circadian rhythm side of things, if you can avoid the blue light and if you can calm your body down about two to three hours before you go to sleep. So if you think if you've got children, if those, anyone out there listening has got children, you don't give them a candy bar, make them run around the house <laughs> and get them all excited about something and then pop them in bed. Right. Because Why? Because their their brain is is full full bore and they've got sugar they've got carbs in their system which is going to cause them to be hyperactive mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. on. So what do you do with a child? You might um, give them their dinner and it's a good healthy hopefully dinner for them and then they might be popped into the bath where their body temperature has been changed which releases. BDNF, a brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which helps them lower their cortisol levels as well, and that sets them up for sleep. So when you change the body's temperature, it helps set them up for sleep and tells the body it's time to slow down. And then you might do something like read them a story, a bedtime story as you pop them into bed, right? And you dim the lights, or hopefully you turn the lights right out when they go to sleep and not have a night light, because that can be very detrimental for kids, by the way. Sure. Um, and, and so you do this routine. Now, as adults, we tend to think we don't need that routine, but actually we benefit <laughs> hugely from the same routine, calming our system down, doing things like yoga, meditation at nighttime, breath work, anything that's going to calm the system, not watching horror movies, not watching um, scary news at 10 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. not working hard out on a work project, you know, at, at 10 o'clock at night, if you can all, at all avoid it, we sometimes can't, but if, you know, if possible, because that's going to make your brain race mm-hmm. and be in that really hyperactive mode. And you want to slow the brain waves down. And so in the two to three hours before, if you can slow them down. And then another key factor is, not having too many carbs and sugars and alcohol and things too late at night, close to your bedtime. So two to three hours before bed, um, trying not to have high carbohydrate intake mm-hmm. um, because that will, um, what that does is it sends your blood sugars up, which causes an insulin release, which causes a cortisol release later on in the night. So you often will wake up at around two, three o'clock in the morning. Um, and that's because the cortisol, the cortisol has been, pumped up at the wrong time it's it's risen in, the, in that sort of time and woken you up out of your sleep if that makes sense. sure not not so, to mention all the insulin receptors in your brain that are going to get fired up by the insulin spike and then it's going to be harder to calm down absolute. and fall to sleep you're so on to it you know all of this already so i'm obviously taught you know preaching to the converted here but yeah it's good for the audience sort of thing that's it. important yeah and it's very like these are simple things that we can actually do that have a massive impact on our mood in the way we cope with stress and how resilient we are, you know, uh, and just, you know, so, you know, we could talk for hours on neurotransmitters <laughs> yeah, and gut could. health and <laughs> thyroid and everything else. But, you know, if, if you just take away from that about the circadian rhythms and trying to honor the ancient DNA that we have mm. and realizing, yes, we live in a modern world with modern lights and devices and things, but our DNA isn't really set up for that. Um, right. So, yeah. Well, thank you so yeah. much for, for chatting about all of that. Um, it's, it's all really great content. Um, so thank you. No, you're most welcome, Victor. And I've really enjoyed doing this series with you. It's been marvelous. 
So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash Intimate Victor, or tweet me at Intimate Victor, or follow my Instagram, you guessed it, at Intimate Victor. If you can spare the cost of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. Or you can just tell a friend. The opening music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords, and played by an AI-rendered saxophonist. The closing music is Gymnopédie, number one, by Eric Satie. Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may your most important relationships be filled with the intimate, rich interactions you crave. Be well. <laughs>